You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. I'd love to do some witty introduction, but actually the story of Mark doesn't have those. And so I'm going to go straight into it and read the Bible to you. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to Mark and chapter 1. I've called this series The Story. Last week we looked at The Story Began. I would entitle this one, The Story Demonstrated. I'm going to skip through about two chapters. So follow through in your Bible and just check it all from there. Jesus calls his first disciples. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum. The people were amazed at his teaching. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they'd left the synagogue, if you weren't here last week, Mark uses the word immediately or as soon over 40 times in 16 chapters. They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Very early in the morning, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Some men came, bringing bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is Jesus. He then saw Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While he was having dinner at Levi's house, the teachers of the law saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is then questioned about fasting. How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins. And both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did? David was a king in the Old Testament. When he and his companions were hungry and in need, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is only lawful for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I'm finishing with a few verses now from uh, Mark 3. Jesus asked him, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed that their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to get caught up in your story. As we're reading through this book of Mark, which we've called the story, we've covered so much, and I pray that you'd speak to each one of us. We thank you as we've come to worship you. You are so eager to speak to us. I pray that we'll have the sensitivity to hear your voice. I pray we then have the courage to obey what you say. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The challenge that I say when we look at stories like this is that so often we ask what happened. Whereas were those that were writing the story wanted to say what did it mean? And there's quite a difference. What happened and why? What did it mean are quite different questions. I want to bring the challenge first and foremost in this whole story of Jesus' start. He, before this passage, and if you've never read the book of Mark... I'd encourage you to read it. We've got some copies at the back. They're free. You can take them. We're going to be looking at this, the story. 
Next week, I'm going to be uh, preaching through to the end of chapter 6, so you may well want to start chapter 3 and read ahead so that you can pick up the pace. I think this is the best gospel to start with. There are four of them in the Bible. And so if you're trying to find out about Jesus, if you're on a journey of faith, I encourage you to read it. Just before the passage that I've read today, Jesus has spent 40 days in the desert. He now comes out and he starts to gather a group of disciples with him. But what he doesn't say to them is, do you fancy a career change? He doesn't say, do you feel a bit stale catching fish the whole time? Come with me. He doesn't actually say to them, hey, you know what? You're looking for a Messiah? Come with me and I'll explain how I'm going to fulfill it all. He doesn't say to the disciples, are you bored being around Galilee? I mean, it wasn't a city like London. What does he say? He goes straight to the point and he says, follow me. If we want to get involved in the story of Jesus, that's what he says to us today. Follow me. He does not say, what can I do for you? The whole story begins by us hearing Jesus and Jesus says, come follow me. The danger, I think, if we live in London, as we do now, is that we could fold our arms and say, Jesus, what could you do for me? If you make my business a little bit more successful, if you make my education a little bit more academic, if you make my marriage a little happier, if you make my life a little shinier, then I'm with you. Jesus comes and he says, follow me. He does not call the disciples for ease, but for service. Our danger, I think, often is that we think, I'll follow Jesus if it blesses me. To get into the story of Mark, we have to hear what Jesus says. The words of Jesus are essential. I mentioned last week that Mark, we believe, listened to a guy called Peter. Peter, if you've ever read the New Testament, was one of the sort of three disciples that were probably closest to Jesus. Peter was the one that opened his mouth to swap feet. You know, he nearly always said something, oh golly, how have I, you know, he was the one that rebuked Jesus. But actually, he records lots of personal things in the Gospel of Mark because it's come from Peter. And actually, what we find, there's a thread throughout the whole story of Mark, and it's this, the words of Jesus are desperately important. We've got it here, haven't we? Jesus says, be quiet, come out. That's in Mark 1.25. It's, it's, it's almost like the eyewitnesses, and Jesus said this, I listened to the words of Jesus, be quiet, come out, and he came out. Yeah. There's something powerful about the words of Jesus. In Mark chapter 4, we'll we get to it next week, that there's, there's this storm coming, and how does it get calmed? Jesus says, be still. There's something powerful about the words of Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, there's a, a girl that has died. And you can read about it, and Jesus takes her by the hand and basically says, get up. The words of Jesus are incredible. Even when he cursed a fig tree, he goes up to this fig tree, and he's almost like, I want something to eat, and there's nothing to eat. And he curses it, and the fig tree dies. The words of Jesus are powerful. If you think about Mark, when Jesus was on the cross... And he literally dies. What does Mark record? He says he sighed his last breath. Then the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. 
It's almost like just the, the very sigh of God created an access so that actually the presence of God fills the earth. That's what Mark is saying. If we want to be those that get involved in the story, we've got to be those that listen. I have loved this week of prayer. I know many people have been praying at home and many have gathered as well. Matt Bateman brought a word. It's funny, I think it was at the men's prayer meeting on Tuesday night, just this picture of this, this ship, and it's all been loaded up with these boxes. Cool, I'll tell you, just live with me. I was walking the next day, just thinking, oh God, I could just see more and more boxes, and God was explaining. I thought, wow, isn't it great when you hear from God? There's that sort of real excitement, isn't there? I, I love it when we gather together, and, and we don't just want to say, oh, well, you know, I love it when somebody comes forward and says, God has said this. I feel God stir- I thought Edward stirred us even today, wasn't it? Yes. What name of Jesus do we need to listen to? Yes. I encourage you. Whatever the Holy Spirit says, do it. Yes. That testimony, even this morning, of, of, of Sam, isn't it? You know, so if I see someone, I'm, I'm going to pray for them. I tell you what I fear. I fear not obeying the whispers of God. And then he'll stop speaking. If I fear anything in 2018, it would be that. And so constantly my my thing is, Jesus, what are you saying to us? We want to be involved in your story. What are you saying? That's That's why I honestly, I know this is a little bit of a plug. It's, It's slightly out of the preach, but I'm just going to throw it in as a free advert halfway through. We as a church have brought a hundred of these journals and this is a journal that I'm encouraging people to do because, and, and I haven't got time to explain it all now, but every day you say, God, what are you saying to me in your word? And you write it down. There's pages of this. I'm going to be explaining more about this probably next Sunday, but I just think, come on, how do we say, Jesus, I want to hear from you. There are so many things that will bombard our time, so much social media. How do we say, Jesus, what are you saying to me right here, right now? So, my first thing is this. We're called to follow him. Follow him. What kind of story does he then demonstrate? It's almost like the story's begun. He says to his disciples, follow me. What kind of story is it? My first word is this, and I've got three. Miracles. Miracles. The disciples are invited into this story of power. I love it, don't you? I skipped through, and there was so much to read, and I know it's hard to keep up with in many respects. An evil spirit is cast out. The fever leaves the mother-in-law. The one miracle I don't really understand about Jesus. But maybe that explains my own relationship with my own mother-in-law, you know what I'm saying? Jesus healed many. The man with leprosy is made clean. I mean, we just think, oh, leprosy is it a bit like eczema, but worse. In those days, if you had leprosy, you were called a living corpse. So by Jesus healing someone from leprosy, he was literally raising someone from the dead. So this is the story that the disciples have suddenly been involved in. The paralytic, this guy was on a mat. I mean, the more I've read it, I've been reading so much this week. I mean, some think this was the house of Peter, and he was stood there. Golly, what are you doing to this point? But Jesus just sees this faith, and and this guy's healed. A shriveled hand. I saw the film Wonder over Christmas. I don't know how many saw it. It's a story about a boy that had 27 operations, 
and just the disfigurement of his face. And you just sort of think, oh, and the pain. In fact, I loved it so much, Lois has lent me the book and I'm now reading it as well. You suddenly think, here was a guy that would have suffered with a shriveled hand and Jesus, with a word, sees it completely restored. What power! We were singing in the morning, weren't we? There is power in the name of Jesus. Right. You're saying, whoa, don't you? You see, during Bible times, you didn't touch someone with like a disease like leprosy because you were concerned about catching the disease. But with Jesus, the power to cleanse is greater than the power to contaminate. So it's almost like in the past, they say, oh, don't touch it because you'll get contaminated. Don't touch it, you'll get contaminated. Keep them separate. Whereas with Jesus, there's so much power, actually you're cleansed the other way. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not like you're going to get done in by this evil thing. Actually, you're going to make a difference. And that is true for us. I I genuinely believe there's power in the name of Jesus. I love it. You know, Sandra tells this story. She prayed for someone last week at work and they get healed. Oh, you can either get, get a, a pill or I'll pray for you. And she prayed. Sam thinks, and on the Friday night prayer meeting, we just said, actually, who here has been healed? And people putting their hands up and telling us, right, let's start praying. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. Yes. We know, don't we, that Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew... When he says to his disciples, look, it's over to you, you know, I'll pass this one on to you, go. He says, all authority I've given to you. I love it. I, I, I honestly don't know why there's not a queue by this banner at the end of every Sunday morning. This is where our prayer team stand. I tell you, you've you got something and you need to know the power of Jesus. Why won't you be there saying, God, break this chain. My kids um, get a bit bored going to the cinema with me now because every single thing I see, I say there is only one story and is the story of the gospel. And so whichever film I've seen, I said, well, obviously that's just got the story of the gospel in it. I was fortunate enough to go and see A Christmas Carol at the Old Vic, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Scrooge, if you've never seen it. Scrooge, this nasty evil man who's, who's... um, partner who's been dead seven years turns up carrying all these chains and says these were the bad things I did in life you could possibly change and so he gets this ghost of Christmas past doesn't he and he goes and sees it and what the ghost of Christmas past shows him is he's been hurt he was hurt by a father who wasn't there for him he was hurt because he chose money over love the ghost of Christmas present shows him his responsibility. And he says, I'm not responsible for the poor, aren't they? The work I have is for them. They can do that. And then actually the ghost of Christmas future shows him the potential if he change. And I said, well, look, that is the gospel. It's not about us changing. No, it's about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can come and deal with your hurts of the past. He can make you different in your present. And he can give you a future hope. I mean, surely that is what this power is all about. The power is not about do we wake up having, you know, seen three ghosts and think we're changed. The power is that we've met the risen Jesus. And we suddenly think, oh, this is different. So my first word was miracle. My second word, I believe, I see in the story of Jesus. What is this story that we get caught up on is people. 
is people. I read one commentator this week that reckoned there was 330 fishing boats at that time on the Lake of Galilee. 330. Isn't that phenomenal? I mean, you you could say double the number of chairs that are out in this room, and everyone was a fishing boat. And Jesus comes and finds these two and says, come follow me. Something very personal about that, even in the midst of a crowd. I love it, don't you? Even the the mother-in-law, the reality, he's done this public healing. He's just in a home. I don't know how many people were there. We don't even know her name. But Jesus knew her circumstances, and he was involved. He didn't need a big crowd because he was interested in people. The gospel, surely, the story that we're caught up in is hope for people. In, in the book of Mark, the tax collector that we get introduced to is called Levi. But if you read the Gospel of Matthew, he's called Matthew. We think, actually, it was one and the same. Levi would have been named after a tribe which Moses and Aaron were part of. These were the priests. So this guy, he had hope. He'd, in some respect, been part of the chosen people, but he had thought that the emperor paid better than God. So he gave up on God and went after money. But Jesus came to the booth and said, come follow me. In many respects, that was grace. That was going after the one that had run away. And that was a picture of grace with people. And I wonder if Mark included that because we believe that Mark himself had experienced that kind of grace. We believe that the author of this was the John Mark that abandoned Paul and Barnabas because it was too tough. But then at the end of the life, we're suddenly restored. And so actually what what this story demonstrates is Jesus has got grace for individuals. Grace for individuals that have been hurt. Grace for individuals of people that are needy. The dinner party. We don't know these people's names. All we know is that the Pharisees looked down on sinners, but Jesus looked out for them. The religious would judge the least, the lost, and the last, but Jesus didn't. He loved them. Jesus would rather be known for being with the party and the people than keeping all these religious rules. He was a people person. Even the discussion about the Sabbath and fasting. It's almost like Jesus says, look, you know, I'm coming out of these rules. I'm coming to connect with people. He loves people. We're caught up on that story too. I mean, this is the story. There is power in the name of Jesus, and there is power to touch people. What I love about Sandra's story and about Sam's story is neither of those healings were in church. Because I believe that we are are due to make a difference on Ealing, on London, on your street, on Hanwell, on Acton. Because actually we are going to welcome all. That's what this story is all about. Tuesday, let's be really frank, do you come on Tuesday night because you're interested in a toy shop? No, you come on Tuesday night because we're interested on people hearing the great news about Jesus. And I'd love them to see some other normal people there. And you could recognize a friend there. Or you could be so inspired by the event, you think next time we put an event, I'll be there with a friend. That's why we do it, because this is what we're caught up on. This is the journey that we're caught up on. 
This is the story demonstrated. There is one of miracles and there is one of people. My final word that I'd like to pull out of this story is sacrifice. Sacrifice. John the Baptist was not just a forerunner of Jesus Christ. I believe John the Baptist was a prototype of Jesus Christ. So the passage, the few verses just before I read today, like I say, I'm trying to give you the whole thread of the story, is where John, we discover, was left in prison. That was a sacrifice. Peter left his boats. That was a sacrifice. There is something about this story of sacrifice. The Pharisees were not willing to follow Jesus. And so by chapter 3, chapter 3 out of 16 chapters, we've already discovered this. What do the Pharisees want to do? Kill him. They won't follow him, so they kill him. That's true, I guess, today. People that think, I'm not interested in Jesus, what do they want to do? They want to rubbish it, they want to get rid of it, they want to suppress it. Already there's this sense of... Now, we could suddenly think, oh, was, was Jesus tricked into this? Jesus wasn't tricked into this at all. We know from John chapter 10 that the reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. That's what Jesus says. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. So there was a sense, wasn't there, where actually Jesus, he was prepared to make this sacrifice for us. He didn't ask us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. I guess it's why, and I've always banged the drum in this church about baptism. Because baptism to me is the first step of us saying, actually Jesus, I will sacrifice whatever for you. I don't just want you to be my, my saviour, I want you to be my Lord. I don't just want to say I'm a Christian, I want to say I will follow you, I will surrender to you. And that's why we often say baptism is so important, because it's a picture of our sacrifice for him. I am aware as I go into 2018, so many people in this church make a huge sacrifice. Many of you will know that um, this building is due to be turned into a hotel And at the end of May, we've probably got to find another place to be. We've therefore started a vision fund. We introduced this two weeks before Christmas with two weeks' notice. The worst thing you could possibly do. This afternoon at five o'clock, we've got a meeting, and I'm just going to share all that news about the sacrifice that people have made and what the way forward is on that. And I'm sure many of you will be here at five o'clock just to hear how that's going and what's the next step. I'm thrilled by people in the church that say, oh, come on, I'll step up. All for Jesus. But I think that's a daily challenge for us, isn't it? What I love about this book of Mark, this story, is there's such excitement. We're never quite sure where it's going to go next. We don't know the next step, do we? We know that actually it's Jesus calling us to follow him. We know that there is miracles there. We know that, don't we? Miracles and power in the name of Jesus. We know that we're called to encounter him and reach out to others. We know that this will involve sacrifice. There's no other story I'd rather be involved in. No other story. They always say now, don't they? If you want to be on social media, don't tell me you've done it. Show me the picture. 
Let's be honest, that's why selfies are so popular, isn't it? The reality is that, you know, we can all say that, but we, we want to see the picture. We almost want to give the evidence. Like, I was part of that story. And in many respects, we've got, you know, I've lost count. I mean, I, I read a stat, I think it was last year, about a billion selfies taken. I'm, I'm sure it's way beyond that now because we all want to take the picture of ourselves in this story and we want to share with others, I was there. I was part of that concert or that meal or uh, that event. Hey, look, I was in the story. But I think that's the picture that we're being encouraged from Mark. This is a story. Who knows? We're celebrating five years. Who knows what the next five years are like? I think the beautiful opportunity about this is that we've got that opportunity to step into this story and see power we cannot dream of, affect people we don't yet know. But it will involve sacrifice from our parts. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this story. We thank you if we read your word and we just think, oh, wow, this is incredible. People that are captive set free. Lives totally transformed. People healed, raised up with the word. We find these miracles amazing. We find the people you touched incredible. We find your tenderness overwhelming. Yes. And we cannot believe that we get to get involved in it now. I thank you for that privilege. I do pray as we go into 2018 that we will come forward as a church just with this sense of excitement and anticipation. What's the story? What's the part I've got to play? We ask this all for your glory. Amen.